inspired by the Canadian Federation of the Blind. Outlook, a show about accessibility, advocacy, and equality. I'm Brian. And I'm Carrie. Outlook. Radio Western. Welcome, everybody. A brand new edition here today of Outlook, either on 94.9 Radio Western as it airs or as a podcast where you can find it after it airs on the radio. Just search for Outlook on Radio Western on all podcast services. Getting into August here, pretty much in the middle of August already. It's hard to believe how time's been flying and I'm still calling in here, or recording from, I guess, London, Ontario. And Care, my co-host, is coming in about 45 minutes away from me in a city here in Ontario, a small city called Woodstock. How are you doing, Care? Yes, hello. Not bad. Staying indoors during a bit of a, another heat warning day, I thought they said. Yeah, here in Ontario. Anyhow, there's been some heat warnings again here the last few days, and... um yeah, Carrie, you've lined up another another exciting guest for today that I don't know super well. I've been on a couple diversity group calls with her, which I'm sure will come up throughout today's discussion. But um, yeah, perhaps you would like to introduce our guest that you've booked for today's edition of Outlook. Well, we always joke, actually, how we like to talk about the weather, especially when we start an episode. So maybe our guest wants to have a bit of a discussion about weather subjects with us. We could start with what we were talking about before we went on air. Um, our guest today is Joanne Beckford. Thank you, Joanne, for being on Outlook. Thank you guys for having me on. This is exciting. And whereabouts are you calling in from today, Joanne? I am calling in from Winnipeg, Manitoba. Yeah, because you mentioned smoke before we went on the air. and uh, Yes, yes, there's a lot of it. And with little rain, it's crazy. And uh, gets the allergies going. So. Not fun. I haven't noticed really any here, but it's in London, Ontario. It's pretty southern Ontario here, southwestern Ontario. So we haven't really had too much smoke here, but um, I know it's been a, an issue around Canada and, and all over the place these days. So Yeah, we had, a, I think, our most rain a couple of days ago, and it tapered it down a little bit, but it's coming in again. So. Yeah, no, I mean, they say a bit of stuff we get from northern Ontario, but I haven't really noticed it, and I don't deal with asthma or any of those things, but, but I, I've heard from other people. But yeah, it's a, it's a global warming thing. Um, oh, for sure. You see it. You definitely... Re- well, because there was also an earthquake on the border of Saskatchewan and Manitoba. That never happens. I think it was 4.1. I'm like, what? Oh, what was that? That was... Thursday, maybe Tuesday night. Oh, I didn't hmn. hear that. Yeah, I'm not sure if yeah, I heard about I that, that either. So, on the news, so I was like, and apparently they say it happens, free- but not frequently. I was like, that's interesting. So, we, t- we can talk about global warming and we can talk about all these things, but um, we usually like to start with our guests going back a bit um, and finding out about you. But I just wanted to start with sort of maybe describe yourself or, or something about yourself for our listeners or describe maybe something about where you are right now. I know you said you're in Manitoba, but for people who might not know about that. It's a prairie province. So I've grown up here my whole life. Um, I do come from Jamaican descent. So my 
Um, family was all born in Jamaica. I was the only one born here. Um, I'm 43. Um, yeah, I don't know. Um, grown up here my whole life. I'm moving. Um, I've been a city girl my whole entire life, so I'm moving out to the country on a farm. So that should be interesting. Oh, oh really? Interesting. A farm? A farm, yeah. It's a dairy farm. So. Oh, wow. Yeah, that should be fun. <laughs> I mean, I don't really have much to uh, really do in the farm, but the city life is very, very different. So kind of looking forward to it, though, especially now that I'm off due to my um, due to disability. It's going to be nice to really have that space and and the quiet and the peacefulness. So I'm kind of I'm looking forward to it, but the move has been hectic. So. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. now that you mentioned that, it's one of those things. We grew up out in the country, not on a farm, but in the country here in Ontario. So, but now, now we both live in cities, and I just, I think you, you mentioned their disability, and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll get into that a little bit here, a bit later, more about your, your disability and, um, and your blindness. But I think yeah, be, being blind, it makes it tricky, kind of, to live in the country a little bit um, for, for traveling and independence. So I don't know, is that something that you, you think about when you're moving there, or Maybe, you know, depending on who you're living with, it can, it can make things a little bit easier, but I just know it's not always the best for, for transportation. No, that's definitely true. I mean, um, my partner is really great. Um, he, he does all the driving, so because I did um, have to stop driving um, about 10 years ago now. So he does all the driving. So, I mean, it's gonna be, I, I'm not really sure how it's going to really affect, just because with COVID and everything like that, you know, we haven't really had, you know, there hasn't been too much movement. There hasn't really been any place to go. Right. But I mean, I'm only moving 30 minutes out of the city. So, you know, I don't really anticipate it being too much of an issue. Yeah. So. And it does, it obviously helps to have, have a partner there who drives. Whereas for me living on my own, I just, for me to live out in the country in the middle of nowhere, I think would be quite a challenge, but uh Oh goodness. Yeah. yeah. That would I wouldn't be happening cuz I mean my family is like 10 minutes away and and so it you know it was con- it's convenient having them all right here but yeah having having my partner being able to drive it's you know it does, it's not really a big deal. I was I when I did drive I wasn't uh I don't like driving too much anyway, so that wasn't a big loss for me. So, so that's not one of the yeah, biggest the, things that you miss, oh, not being able no, to see isn't, isn't driving. Oh my goodness. When they told me I couldn't drive out that, I was like, oh, it was like a relief off my shoulders because I hated it. And I guess in retrospect, it was because probably I was having issues with my eyes and not realizing it. Mm. So, but I didn't know that at the time, so... Yeah, that hasn't been a big loss for me. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Because uh, one of my questions was going to be about that sort of, you know, Brian and I have never been eligible to drive. Uh, so, you know, I've talked to a few people who have have you know who used to drive and then all of a sudden they weren't able to anymore. And I guess the you know assumed response is like, oh my god, it's terrible loss. Or how did you? to ask you that question but I mean obviously you just answered it but it's not always the answer that somebody might expect to get but that's why it's interesting to get outlooks from so many people because that big of a loss to someone else was actually a weight off your shoulders but again how long has this been affecting your life like you said your ability to drive that's it yeah interesting 
Yeah. And also Brian and I sort of grew up out in the country and with family, with farms and stuff. So it wasn't really that big of a deal for us. But I always think about people who really didn't didn't have a lot of country farm, actual farm experience, who were in the city a lot, just to see that, you know, how things grow and how animals produce. And um, so I don't know, are you anticipating a big change? You said you're not, you know, going there to work as as a farmhand or anything or a milk milker, but uh, are you excited about, you know, the like adventure more than just the peacefulness that you did mention? I'm extremely excited. I mean, it's um, it's kind of really bizarre because when everything did start with my vision, um, I was in a different relationship. Like I was married, so moving now with my partner now, um, and he's been always aware of my vision issues. It's kind of a different dynamic, and it. it's it's kind of a, a different chapter almost. And I'm excited about that that new chapter, that new beginning. Um, and just the journey of the vision loss, like it has been, I've, I've, I think I've always said that I've said that in our diversity groups. So I, I always say that um, my setback is my setup. And I feel like so many opportunities are kind of being open. So I'm excited about that. I'm just excited of just having that time to be able to do the things I've wanted to do and couldn't. And um, I don't know, I think I'm, I think I'm also too excited of the fact that I have that space to kind of walk around and get used to because right now in the city, um, it's so, or where I am, it's, I won't want to say it's crowded, but it's kind of, it's more congested and I'm just getting used to, you know, walking with my white cane and getting used to the confidence and stuff like that. So I think being able to be on the farm and kind of work through those little issues on my own, it's going to be really good. So that's what I'm looking forward to is just kind of being able to come to terms because I'm still in that process. I've done pretty good at accepting, but I'm still, I have good days and I have bad days. So I think it'll be able to just kind of make my way around sort of the orientation part of it and the mobility part of it will be easier for me out there. Yeah. And that's interesting that you bring up the the acceptance there because it's it's one of those things that carry, I know even you who you've, your, your sight as you've never been completely sighted, but you had quite a bit more um, when you were younger. And then it's been what, Carrie, now? At least over 20 years that it's really been kind of gradually going, like getting less and less. And it's something that it is hard to completely accept, Karen. And, and it's a little different for me to speak about because I was born blind, so it's always been like this for me. But um, And that's what I like. So we got three different perspectives here, right, that are, are quite widely varied. For sure, for sure. But I like what you say about that, you know, yeah, I mean, a lot of people do find being in the city and if you are just sort of newly blind and things may be disorient or, yeah, with the amount of people that are sort of crowded into one space, uh, it's an environmental um, question. But it's interesting that you, you're you finding that you're, you think you'll be finding some freedom out there, which is, which is cool. I mean, I like, I, I guess for me, because I still do have some residual vision, like, for instance, when I come out of my apartment, um, when I, when I, I've lived here in my apartment for six years and nobody really talks to me. I kind of just, you know, go on flight under the radar kind of thing. And the minute I got my cane and started walking around the people that come and ask questions. And I think it's really great. Like I don't mind answering the questions, but you know, some questions could be a little bit off-putting, I guess, for lack of a better word. But I mean, I like to educate people because I've learned so much in the past couple of years. But 
people don't realize that blindness is a spectrum. So I'll see people staring at me with, when I'm walking or just people's reactions to it is very interesting. I find that very interesting. But it also, at the same time, um, affects, I don't know if it's my confidence or just it may, my anxiety is maybe for as maybe that's a better word so because I'm nervous I'm not sure you know if I'm moving around proper if I'm going to bump into anything so dealing with that um I find like I think just being able to walk around um on the property in the country I think it's going to be just getting used to that cane getting used to things around me and just not worrying if I fall and not every because I live right on a busy street like you know not everybody's gonna see me that kind of thing those are the you know one of the few little things you worry about so that's where I'm kind of thinking I'm hoping anyway so but I kind of always look at everything in a positive way so (laughs) I think it'll be good good no that that definitely helps yeah I mean I guess the the white cane topic that we bring up a lot about accepting and accepting that, but the way you say how it it does just um, automatically bring some attention to you from people, um, and some of it can feel disconcerting. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, I don't know how you handle that, or if you've got. Do you think you've gotten better with it, or do you you know do you find it hard to know what to say sometimes, or do you are you usually pretty quick thinking. I'm pretty quick thinking now when it, when everything first happened, I was pretty much in denial because when it first started, um, I was referred to CNIB and I guess that maybe they anticipated or they've seen it before. I'm sure what I would need. And I was like, I don't need that. I don't need this. And like when everything kind of happened um, and when my vision, cause my vision got, I, I always had, when I was diagnosed with the glaucoma, um, you know, I had the, the depth perception issues and whatnot, but it was after surgery where the, I was diagnosed legally blind. So after that, it was, um, it was so much different. And I kind of wish, and it happened right during the very, very beginning of the pandemic. So I kind of wish I had taken their advice, you know, maybe a year before, because getting the help I needed during the pandemic was very difficult. And and that it, it caused a little bit of a depression. Like I think I went about a year um, just, you know, wondering what am I going to do? Like it's just all the questions that come, you know, into play. And I think that's something that is important to discuss is, is the, the, uh, the adjustment where sure it's ideal if while you're, while someone's losing their sight, that they are starting to work on these skills and taking this advice to, to learn these things that they're going to need to be ready for. But at the same point, if you can still see, it's hard to put yourself in that position and actually want to do it because you're still dealing with acceptance and you're not quite sure how much sight you are going to lose. And it's hard to totally understand it until it happens. So it's, it's, it's in ideally it's best to be, you know, proactive and, and, uh, prepare in advance, Definitely. but oftentimes it's, it's not that simple. It's not so simple just to go for it when you're in that state. And nobody explains it to you. I mean, before the issues with my eyes, I knew nobody that had, um, you know, a visual impairment or whatnot. And, and the people that I did, I mean, I wouldn't dare to ask questions because you don't want to offend anybody. And so when it happened to me, it was just, it, I didn't even know what questions to ask. I just, it was just really 
I was going at it blindly and so were everybody else around me. So it's kind of been a great experience. I I don't want to say it's a great experience. I mean, I don't wish that I was dealing with this, but it's been being able to, you know, educate people around me. I think that's really been, um, and educating myself. Like I've learned so much um, just from joining support groups and just listening. I've thrown myself right into kind of learning and hearing. And like Carrie, you said, it's different perspectives. Everybody's story is so different. And I love that. So I just take everything I can from the people around me. And And that's the thing that I've I've really, you know, inspires me. And it's great to see. And it's, you know, it's everyone's different. Like we say, everyone has a different situation. But from the limited interactions I have had with you on a couple of conference calls, you do just seem very positive and optimistic and just trying to look at the, the bright side of things. And most things do have, a, you know, pros and cons. So if you focus on the, on the positives, and it's, of course, yeah, harder yeah. than others, sometimes easier, easier than others to do. But if you have that personality to begin with, I think it's going to make things a lot easier than, than someone who doesn't. And it's just, it's unfortunate that some people don't, but it's, it's everyone's different, of course. And um, so, yeah, I just think, to give people a bit more perspective. So let's, let's go back a little bit further now and into growing up in your childhood and see, do you remember at all the first time you heard about blindness or what some of your earliest thoughts would have been? I mean, it's hard to, hard to know because, you know, back then maybe you didn't have, you weren't diagnosed with glaucoma yet or anything like that. I'm not sure. But do you have any recollections from being a child or any memories of hearing about blindness or meeting anyone who was blind or having any, any history with that at all? Oh, for sure. Um, for sure. No glaucoma, but realizing now, um, it's, um, it's hereditary. We've come to realize. So I always knew my uncle had glaucoma, but again, his wasn't, his is um, stabilized. So it didn't really affect him. I knew he couldn't drive, um, that kind of thing, but you know, it was, it was nothing, but other than that, nothing. I knew growing up in school and everything, I knew not nobody, there was nobody I knew that had a visual impairment or that were blind. So when it happened to me, I, I was literally, I think, um, in my circle of people that I know, um, was probably one of the first, I mean, so there was nobody to kind of ask questions to or fall back to. I know for my parents, they said they've never, um, you know, that I'm really the first person they've interacted with. So they're learning with me as well. I always remember there was a woman who lived on our street and she was blind and her companion, they would go walking every day. But I always, I was just like, you, you really, you just really don't think anything of it. I mean, I think the biggest thing too that I learned is just like I said before, like blindness is a spectrum. So you just assume people are blind; they just see black. That's it. So I would compare that for me for other other disabilities. Like I don't. I mean, since more recently, the last few years, beginning involved more with with organizations and stuff like that to connect with more people. But I compare it to a different disability, like. If, if someone were to ask me, what do I know about uh, being deaf or like someone who's deaf? Do I have anyone in my life that I gr- grew up th- thinking about? And I, I really don't. So it, it makes complete sense. You know, if it's not something that you, you face in your own life, then you don't make those connections at all. And you just. You don't. But it's so funny. I grew up with 
um, two people growing up in school that were hearing impaired and deaf. So you learn a bit of sign language there, but nobody blind. Right. So or visually impaired. Yeah. So it just shows some of the, you know, the things that are entrenched in society that we all, even those of us who have been blind can think certain things. Um, but for sure, it's, it's great. We do talk to people, um, but I love to talk to people when we can, who have both perspectives because you're, it's a lot of it's, it sort of sometimes feels like straddling two worlds when, mm-hmm. you know, it's all one world, but, you know, kind of to simplify it in that way, it's sort of how it feels. And it's sort of balancing between, I often find between feeling like I'm not seen at all or <clears throat> like I stand out. So it's one or the other. Exactly. That's a really good way, but it's so true. It is so true. And just funny how you mentioned, yeah, that you pick up that cane and you step out your apartment door in the, in a city and a bunch of people see that you know that's what their eye zeroes in on and that's what makes it hard for a lot of people to accept white cane usage but also if you are able to find the positive in that and see what it can bring to your life then that's the direction you kind of have to go with that but I think you have to because I mean like I said I spent when I first it was April 2019 when um I had I had my surgery March of, I think, March 29th of 2019. And I thought, I'm going to be back to work two weeks. I'm good. You know, I'll be, you know, back as new, whatnot, and went back to work. And my ophthalmologist is really good. It's kind of, he lets me figure these things out on my own, but he's always there to kind of help guide me through. So when I was like, I'm going back to work, and he was like, okay. And I went back to work and literally, my eye just swelled right up. I was like, okay, there's something going on here. And I turned to my manager. I'm like, I think I got to go home. She's like, oh my goodness. I think, you know, that was my last day of work um, after that. And I guess with the, with my ophthalmologist as well, we could always, we were on that cusp of, is it going to recover? Is it not? Cause you know, it's, you never quite know. So as the time went on, I just, I think through the trauma, because that wasn't my first surgery, I think it's just, you know, it taken all it could. And, um, and then he diagnosed me as legally blind. And so for that whole year, I just, I, I didn't know what to do. Like, I just, you, you don't, like, you don't know who to turn to. You don't know who to ask. You don't know what to do. And so that was the hardest part, I think, for me. I had nobody to reach out to nobody to ask questions because otherwise that's how I like to go at things is when I'm faced with a problem you know I research it figure out the solution I always did that even growing up it's like what's the problem what's the solution so when this happened I didn't know what that solution was going to be and I hadn't heard of really anything about CNIBs so even to reach out to them I was just like I was kind of lost and that was really the hard part and I know everybody has their different experiences with CNIB, but I always say the pandemic kind of helped me out a little bit because um, in May of 2020, everything started to go virtual with them. And that was a life changer. And that from that point, um, I've just been moving forward since then. And my parents have also been a really good help. For people who haven't been around somebody with a visual impairment or blindness, they're amazing. Like they just, like my dad has always said, I'd rather you um, try and fail than fail to try. So I always take that with me as well. Like I try 
you know what I mean? But if I fail, I'll do it again. So they've always been really great and influencing that positive, you know, nothing's ever too, too devastating, you know, so I've taken that with, so that's been helpful. Yeah. And, um, I guess, um, family, we discuss it all the time, plays a big part no matter when you might get diagnosed or start losing vision or whatever, having family, uh, a foundation that of lessons they've taught you maybe up to that point, And then having people that are just, yeah, willing to just do what it what follow your lead kind of. Well, and that's that I have a circle of friends, which I think I'm really lucky. I've grown up with them. So it, that's how I, that's one of the things I was worried about too, is how is it going to affect my friendships? And, you know, there's some people of course that don't know how to handle it. So they, they distance and, you know, you're out of that. You kind of don't share that same sort of commonality anymore. So, you know, you distance, you, you begin to distance your, with yourself with them. But I have about six or seven groups of girlfriends that I grew up with. And they've been great as well because it's just the same old laugh to them. You know, the fact that I don't see their faces when we're all sitting around, it doesn't really matter. They don't treat me different. And that's a big difference as well. And I distance myself from them because. I wasn't sure how they were going to treat me. And that was another big mistake too. But I feel like, you know, if, if, if they're really good friends that they would, they would stick with you and, and be there. But like you say, it's, it's hard for me to, to imagine because I'll, I've been blind my entire life. So my friends, I've, I've been lucky to make quite a few friends as well, but they've, that's the way they've always known me. So it would be an adjustment or just a little bit different, I guess, if someone knew you and then, and then you lost your, your vision. <laughs> And then they, you know, they still need you, but that's, I don't know. I just don't know what that experience would be like, but hopefully it was supportive for the most part from, from your friends. It definitely was. I mean, I was prior to, um, the vision loss. I was like the one that would, you know, the, I go out all the time, you know, somebody call you. Yeah, I'm going to go. And that was the hard part for me. I think is that when people started calling me, when the vision loss happened, I didn't want to go out. And the fact that I couldn't see their faces really bothered me. And so I really pulled back a lot and I lost, and that's another thing with the pandemic that really bothered me is I lost a whole year with some of the people that I really wish, you know, I could have hung out with. And then the pandemic hit and then I couldn't see them again at all for a year and a half. And just and all these things you kind of learn in retrospect, but I mean, it happens, things happen for a reason. But like I said, those girls have been really, uh, they really been a lifeline for me. So, and it was great because we, um, you know, have our group chats and stuff, and they're really good at keeping me um, sort of involved in what's going on. I think probably the most frustrating thing I ha- that I find is the pictures when everybody's sharing pictures or things, and I can't, uh, I can't see the pictures, and right. people don't realize that just a simple description is so helpful um but when you just share it and then try to figure it out that's that could be frustrating so i would say that's probably the only frustration that i would have but other than that everybody's been good they ask questions and i'm not afraid like i'm an open book so i'm not afraid to answer the questions don't bother yes and this is this is also all this is so very recent right it is it is yeah Hmm. yeah 2019 yeah, so to maybe give our listeners a bit of an idea, so you, you were 
when were you officially <clears throat> diagnosed with with glaucoma then i know it's a for sure september 2011 okay. so it was so quick because i was I, I was driving around all that time and i i did notice little things because i had um, i had worked at a hotel um so i was working the night shift and coming home for some reason that year it rained every night i was coming home at 11 at night and so the reflection (laughs) from the road and the would it would just like it would it would pretty it was i couldn't see but i just thought well maybe it's just the reflection like i didn't know there was something wrong with my eyes and i would white knuckle at home like every all the time and finally i was like Oh, there's, there has to be something going on. And then I started another job. So I was like, I can't do this night driving anymore. So I started another job in an office and I couldn't see the clock. And so I would strain to see it. And I was like, I need to go get glasses now. And so when I went, I remember it was September of 2011. I can't remember the exact day, but I just remember going to the eye doctor and the look on his face when he took the pressure test. <laughs> I, I, it was you can, you shouldn't do that to somebody because I was like, what? It's like, how did mm. you get here? I'm like, I drove. Mm. It's like, how did you manage to drive? I'm like, and I'm like, I'm a little smart. Out. I'm like, with my two hands. Like, what do you mean? <laughs> yeah. How? Like, let me know what you're going at with this. And uh, he didn't even tell me that the pressure was so high. He just said, we're sending you to a specialist. And I said, okay. I'm like, just are you going to call me or tell me when? And He's like, we're sending you to one like, like today. I said, what? Mm-hmm. So it just, I didn't even have time to register anything. And so I'm, right then I started to back up. I was like, well, I don't, I can't go today. I have plans. And I didn't have plans, but I was like, I can't go. Mm-hmm. I don't want to go. And he's like, no, you need to go. And so I had to call my dad to take me because he's like, you can't drive there. So I, and still he didn't tell me really what was going on but my ophthalmologist had told me that when they came the doctor had said that my pressure was i think 37 or 38 and so he was preparing to do like an emergency surgery and that was the day i found out that i had the glaucoma and that weekend i ended up right away starting with um laser treatment so i really didn't even have time to register i knew a bit about glaucoma because i said my like i said my uncle had it but not knowing I didn't have time to register like a treatment plan what this was and whatnot and that was a little off-putting and scary but it's right from the bat my dad was like whatever happens we work through it and we'll get through it so I'm like okay and I just kind of you know held on blindly and just went through and but I mean over the course of I think that was back in 2011 it's just been a series of surgeries since then. I, there was a little bit of a period where it um, it kind of stabilized, but from that point on and when the laser started, that's when my eyes started to go downhill from that. So I didn't know they would get to this point where I would be diagnosed as legally blind, but I mean, I started having the depth perception issues and, and that kind of thing, light perception issues, but not too, too bad, but the depth perception was horrible, so. Yeah, that's that's so fast, and like you say, so many uncertainties. And then when they don't, sometimes the doctor doesn't quite tell you everything, and you're like, "What? What's going on?" And you don't know how to react. And it's it's got to be uh, quite a quite a situation in time. So 
thanks so much for going into so much detail there. I really appreciate that because it really outlines the whole experience so well. And uh, I think that's really important for our listeners to uh, to understand how how someone might might deal with something like this. And um, for anyone who has just tuned in, you're listening to Outlook here today on Radio Western. We are speaking with Joanne Beckford from Manitoba. We're going to take a quick break now for some promos. And we'll be back with more Outlook on Radio Western. Welcome back. You are listening to Outlook on 94.9 Radio Western or as a podcast. We are speaking today with Joanne Beckford from Manitoba, who has been telling us about her recent vision loss. Um, And it's been great to have this conversation, Joanne. A lot of the stuff, um, my questions and things that I sort of have down here, we sort of anticipated already. Um, But getting your sort of time frame of when things happened, my one question was going to be about school. I, I was going to see if school was ever affected, whether you knew it or not, by um, vision loss, or was it just much later? Um, what was that sort of like? Anything like that? And then maybe you can just let us know about your, you mentioned working in a hotel and a few things, but what has been your history up until, like you said, things started to make it for more sure. difficult to work? <clears throat> no, for sure. Um didn't notice anything in elementary, junior high. I was an avid reader. So I loved reading. I loved writing. Okay. Um, so those were, my, those were my things. Anybody who knew me knew I was going to grow up to be a journalist. Like, that was my dream. Um, so junior high, high school, I didn't really notice anything either. And then I wouldn't even say up until even going through school, because I did a bit of university and then um, I took a broadcasting course and um, maybe there might have been, I may have noticed, you know, a little holding the paper close, but again, nothing to, I had reading glasses, so nothing too crazy. Didn't know it would be, you know, to the extent that it was, I didn't know I had an eye condition. Um, and then of course life happens. And after school, a lot of the jobs that I was offered were, out of the province, not out of the province, but out of the city, sorry. And I was still pretty young, so moving completely out of the city. And um, with broadcasting, you know, you, it's, it's one of those jobs where you got to kind of pay your dues before you kind of hit it big, I guess you could say. So moving out of the city, um, having, you know, school debt to pay and whatnot, and not working full time wasn't really an option for me. So that's when I kind of took. I wanted to do my writing on the side because that was always my passion, but I had to take, you know, the full-time job and whatnot. And then kind of life happens. The broadcasting stuff kind of got, you know, kind of put to the side. And then I did office work. I worked in a hotel. Um, the working in the hotel was probably um, when I first realized some, there was an issue again, not knowing it was an eye condition, but the, looking at the computer um, for eight hours and the, you know, the small little details, that's where I really found it difficult. And my, I loved the hotel. I loved interacting with people, but because of the time and just being married, we had opposite schedules. So it was, you know, I, I he worked days. I, we weren't ever seeing each other. So I had made the option to switch to the job that my, my last job. Um, and I worked for a leasing company. And I absolutely loved it, but that's where my, where everything kind of started to happen. And it was really kind of bizarre because it was, 
like I said, I still have some residual vision, but it's, for instance, my left eye is the worst eye. My right eye is my better eye. But there was patches of blind spots in the left eye. So I was missing letters, uh, one letter out of like a person's name, and it would throw things off. But not knowing that that's how, the, how things were being affected, it just looked like I didn't know how to spell properly. <laughs> and so mm. accuracy was becoming an issue. And I would have to take my time and really um, read things, you know, really slowly and read it over again. And that wasn't, that wasn't, that wasn't me. And what really made the change is my manager, I was sitting in front of her and she noticed I would pull the computer close to me and then I'd push it back and pull it close and push it back. And that's when my, 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 the leasing company was really great. They were willing to do whatever they needed to do to help me. So they came, she kind of saw the signs and she was like, we need to get you a larger computer, more resolution, um, you know, and kind of all that stuff. But again, I was still in so much denial because of my previous relationship. And I don't blame him, but you not knowing how to deal with somebody that, you know, an eye condition, not knowing it. it and then myself not knowing, it kind of put a strain on things. Because it just, um, there's that fear there. And then it just kind of, it brought my confidence down. It brought my fear factor up. And so I just didn't know how to deal with things properly. And so when it worked, when they were trying to help me, I was more scared I was going to lose my job. So I was trying to hide it as best as I could. And, mm-hmm. and I, I, I sometimes, again, you know, in retrospect, I wish I would have been more open that something was going on because they were so willing to jump in and do whatever I needed. We got CNIB in, they were doing lighting and everything, but by then it was too late. Um, and then again, COVID, famous pandemic, um, you know, any training that I could get now afterwards, everybody's remote. So I don't know. I, I look at it as, again, I look at, at the positive of it. I'm learning so many other skills. So maybe that's just, you know, divine intervention allowing me to, you know, come to terms and learn the different skills I need to. But yeah, it was more in the last 10 years where I really noticed it affected my job. Yeah. And it's interesting how, how humans work where we, you know, we, we adapt to things and things ha- like this happen so gradually often that that we just, we try to hide them or we don't even really know what we're hiding because it's it's just you know for us it's and you also just don't want to stand out you don't want to stick out so you try to just ignore it pretend nothing's wrong and then you know then it's other people's often that sometimes have to tell us whereas ourselves even though we know ourselves better than anyone else in many ways to sort of uh, come out and and accept this type of thing or admit it or you almost maybe feel like you're inconveniencing someone else or i don't know i don't know how it was for you but i just think it is a it's an interesting way that humans sort of automatically try to hide things or just try to they they we naturally adapt so well i think that sometimes we just do these things without even thinking about it sometimes and then someone else might point that out that they see that behavior or something so that's exactly it that's exactly what happened so it and and then just with like i said with having a partner who's also fearful it's like you know you could lose your jobs and so that like having that kind of attitude it doesn't help so, and then you just feel like you're a burden and 
Um, I mean, needless to say, that relationship didn't last, but it wasn't because of my eyes. But, you know, it it, it affected my confidence because where I could have been more open, I wasn't because I was fearful. And then it's funny being in this relationship I am now, he's so open with it. Like, he's the one who told me, he, he figures out different things to help me, like even cooking wise. Like, I can't cook anymore. And he's like, no, you just turn with, you know, this is at six o'clock. This is at three o'clock. And not even having something associated with anybody who was visually impaired or blind himself, just, just the knack for being able to um, direct me the way mm-hmm. he does. I don't know if that's a good word to use, but that, I, I like I tell him, I'm like, it's like he, he, he kind of makes you, makes me feel more confident. It's like, take your cake. Don't yeah, there's we, that's come up on the show before that topic of where some people just naturally have seem to have that ability. And I don't know quite w- what that is. I just think some people are more natural at some things yeah. than others where they'll they'll you'll talk to someone and they'll just you won't even feel like you're you're like there won't be any difference like that. You're blind. It won't stick out at all when you're talking to them or no. they'll just they'll guide you a certain way or they're so like they give proper like really great descriptions just naturally and it's, it is nice when you come across someone like that because it also can go the other way sometimes where someone can be completely ignorant and not know anything about it, which again, oftentimes exactly. I, don't, I don't always often blame people either because it's a lot of it's just education and it's people don't necessarily wow. know these things. It's just, it can be frustrating. Well, that's it. And I mean, I don't, like I said, in my past relationship, I don't want to cast blame at all because I wouldn't know if the tables were turned, how I would react. Mm-hmm. It's just, I, I don't know if it's because with this previous partner or this current partner, he he met me right when I, like right off the bat, I had to tell him I don't drive. So you have to drive me or I had to grab on because nighttime, totally blind at night. So yeah, that's sort of what I was touching on earlier about if, if someone, ca- um, if, if someone already knows you and then you go blind, how different that might yeah. be than someone just meeting you and you already are in, in that state. So it's like two different lives almost. Mm-hmm. two different lives like if anybody knew me back then i'm sure and to see me now two totally different people i think or i feel that way anyways i don't know if they feel that way but i certainly do so so what was that like then with your that last job that you had i, I was going to make the joke that you you weren't able to all of a sudden see the clock at work and it's like <laughs> oh no we can't pay attention to know when it's time you could get to go home it's um, true. <laughs> but um <laughs> But as far as the jobs, like that whole, if we talk to the, what it feels like when you may, often you'll hear people just say, yeah, I, I lost my sight. I had to quit my job. And it sounds like it's like really all or nothing. And so it is great to hear when there are employers like you were talking about that, that don't, you know, step up and, and get you what you might need kicking and screaming wise. They do it because they see the the value in that. Um, oh, but- they did. Like I can't. Just having that support from them be kept with um, going through that. I mean, I would have, it was, it's almost like things happen for a reason because when everything started happening, I was getting really bad headaches and it would be, it would always happen usually right after the weekend. Cause I guess the stress of doing everything on the weekend and then coming into work the Monday, the inocular headaches would start happening. And so I'd be calling in sick. And I remember when being called into the office, like, Joanne, this is happening, you know, you know, on the weekend, like what's going on. And I'm like, I am not, I'm past that partying stage. Like, I don't know what it is. They're migraines or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then when I was diagnosed, I had to come back and tell them, 
but that week we always um at my job we always um have a week where we do united way um we do united way like campaigns and stuff and they had somebody come in and speak who actually went blind from glaucoma and i remember my manager came up to me and said oh my gosh we did not that like i feel so bad but we you know we accusing you you know what i mean because they didn't know how having that eye condition and how that like I don't want to say how bad it could get, but how it can transition. I didn't know either. I was like, whoa. <laughs> but I didn't, I wasn't so far gone. And from that point on, like if I needed to take a week off or, because the headaches would just come and go. And it, it would be to the point where I couldn't even, I couldn't get out of bed. It was just like a migraine. But um, they were really good. Like they, you know, nobody cast judgment or whatnot. And that was a big, that was a big, help and i got a remote system and stuff like that so when it would happen i would be able to um work from home so and then just when i when it all came out fully that this is what i need like i said they were getting got me whatever tools i needed you know got the big pads of paper you know the felt pens and stuff and i feel like if the pandemic hadn't hit we i could have possibly moved forward and still been working but at the same time there's so much I'm learning right now because I have to learn to retype, um, not mm. being able to see the keys properly. I can't see print. So not being able to write um, on a pad of paper. So your job, you, um, you may have continued. It, it kind of just quit because of the pandemic. Was that what's, what started that or? Not necessarily. Like I feel like, cause I feel like if I, if the pandemic had it had happened, I could have been able to, you know, talk to them about getting um, like JAWS or NVDA put on the computer. I could have learned or taught myself, you know, the, those different skills. It may have been harder. I don't know. But I know, you know, I have that push and that work ethic to do it. But with the pandemic, you, there's nobody, there was kind of no, you couldn't, you know, have contact with anybody. So um, I don't know. I mean, I'd like to think that I still could have but at the same time I think having this time like I said to um the CNIB has offered some really good te technology um certain sessions and workshops so I've just been throwing my all my time into those but and learning so much like there's so much that I didn't like I didn't know and that's the thing about um if someone does lose is losing their vision while they're still working is you need, you know, it takes time. We talk a lot about on this yeah. show about, about the training and all these skills for blindness that we have developed over years. So if you're working your job and trying to learn all those skills, that, that could be a lot all at once. And the fact is that, yeah, unless you have those skills before getting a job, sometimes it could, it could result in, in having, to, having to quit that job to take some time to really just adapt to, to being blind. Like even when I graduated from high school and I moved out independently for the first time on my own, I didn't go right off to post-secondary because I needed a few years to to learn how yeah. to cook and travel and all these independent things that, you know, living at home, my parents would help me with. And now I was on my own. So I had to, even though I was born blind and had these skills, I still didn't have them to that, that degree because I hadn't lived on my own. I hadn't traveled as much on my own living out in the country. And so there's so many things that, that come into play when you, uh, when you get out on your own. So. For sure. For sure. And I mean, just 
what really excited me too about doing the podcast with you guys is you both are doing things that I've loved to do, like with the audio engineering and the, you know, the broadcasting portion, communications portion of it. And with Carrie and her writing and stuff like that, it's super, super inspiring for me. So, and it's a motivation for me. And I know it's weird how, this is where I say my setback is my setup is I can get back into that aspect of what I wanted to do, but now on a different, with a different um, platform, you know, with YouTube, with podcasting, you know, blogs and stuff like that so it's kind of it's really exciting for me so Mm -hmm. i find what you guys are doing is awesome that's why i was so excited to do it because i've listened to a lot of the shows that you guys have done and i love it i became addicted to it because you have so many different people on and whatnot so kudos to you guys yeah that's the point of it thanks so much thank you that's what we're looking to do is talk to so many people. And, and like we're talking about this, this fear that a lot of people seem to have. And we're trying to, you know, we understand that it's, it's not easy and it, it's a difficult change for anyone. But we also want to try to, you know, remove that fear a little bit from blindness and realize that it isn't necessarily so bad. A lot of it is the way that you look at it and the sure the support. And there's so many things that go into it. But if, you, if you're able to look at it with a bit of more of a positive attitude and realize that it's not so bad. There's still many things that can be done when someone's blind. So it's uh, sure. hoping to change perspectives by doing Outlook here. So we really appreciate all the listens and, and uh, your interest in the show and all that. So for anyone who has just tuned in, we're speaking today with Joanne Beckford from Manitoba. So I think maybe we should go to a little bit, uh, just quickly kind of just figure out how, how we know you in the first place. So I believe it would have been through the, through the Canadian Federation of the Blind. I think that's how we... We connected, so I just wanted to quick ask how you how you came across the CFB and how you found your experiences. I can't remember if you were at the the virtual convention at all um, that we had in in May, and I know, but I know you've been on some of our diversity calls that we have once a month. So maybe just a little bit about how you discovered the CFB and your experience. No, for sure. I think it was actually a Facebook group where Carrie had made a comment, and then I I think I commented back, Carrie, and then that's how it started. And she had mentioned. Um, the CFB, and I was like, "Oh, I had I had never heard of it until then." So I'm like, "I'm going to check this out." And and she had mentioned your podcast, and so I did check out both of those things, and I was like, "Oh!" And learning something new again, exciting. It lit a you know, it lit a fire. So I started checking that out, and I think I ended up catching the convention. The I. I I think it was that week, but I didn't get to kind of see everything right from the beginning. I caught one speaker, I believe, um, and that was it, which I'm really disappointed. So, well, most of most of those videos are up on uh, on YouTube as well, so you can always check them yeah. out for anyone listening. Plus, I think the group you would have been referring to is Blind Blind People of Canada. I think yes, because I've yes. seen you in that group, and we'll uh, we'll we'll post a link to that group in the uh, podcast notes here because I do think. That is a great group. The more more people we can network, and that's what this is all about for me. It's it's not even necessarily always about one organization or another. It's more about making these connections and really meeting these people and and finding the best of any organization and any any connections you can make is is a big part of it. So, well, it's so true because I that year on twenty twenty, I said I'm not going into twenty twenty feeling the way I did last year, and that's what I started. I I just looked up Facebook. I'm like. Facebook support groups for blind people. And that's a lot of them. Life. 
<laughs> yeah, there was. There was. And I was like, oh, I have a place now I can ask the questions. And people were ready to answer them just right off the bat. And then that just started the whole trajectory forward. And then meeting people. And like, I love meeting people. So it was a real, that was a life changer for me too. Just getting getting questions answered, realizing, oh my gosh, there's so many different eye conditions and whatnot. So as for um, your the second part of your question with the CFB, I haven't, I just joined. I was so... Um, I think it was after our first diversity um, panel group or Zoom that we had. I was just so in awe of everybody. I'm like, I have to join. And so I haven't really thrown myself in too much just with the move and whatnot. But um, I was really impressed with when I joined, um, just asking how I could be, you know, more part of things and whatnot. And I got such a really beautiful email from I believe it was the president. And I just thought, just, just listing things in detail of what I can do and just kind of leaving it into, in my hands, like what I wanted to do, what I wanted to concentrate. I was like, I was so impressed and just the quick response as well. So once I get, once I move, once I get settled, that's going to be my next thing that I kind of figure out more of, you know, how I can help. And I'd really love to get into help just, I guess sort of mentoring other people because one of the things I do find in these support groups is I just wish I could just shake people or just give them a hug and just be like you know things aren't so bad like you know there's so much you can do and life isn't so bad like life life isn't over so um just to be able to help others just get to that point that's really what I want to try to do awesome yeah, no, I mean, all I really, the thing that really matters to me is just that, what, like Brian said, whatever organization you're talking about, I just want, I just want Canadians who are blind to realize, um, you know, of course we have things that make us different and we don't have to agree on everything and all those sort of things we all know. But yeah. if, we, if we don't sort of realize our power in numbers, um, it's going to be harder to get what we want and everything feels political to me these days, the older I get, but... But um, I just really want blind Canadians to realize that we, you know, we have more power than we think. We're not so helpless and, and, right, and, and it's not all about isolation, right? There are people exactly. like you who, who are able to, hand, uh, you know, hang on to some independence and some of their, um, you know, your outgoing nature and, and that helps you get through. And it doesn't come easy by any means. No. It doesn't come easy at all. It's a struggle and you have your good days and your bad days, but I mean, it having that support like you said strength comes in numbers so um you know having different outlets to reach out to it, it it's it's a life changer it's yeah life and the networking in, in canada with the blind community still seems to be more scattered than i would like so i just think that the big the big thing that i'm trying to achieve with with the cfb in particular is growing that network and with these groups the blind blind people of canada on facebook and all this kind of stuff to really to really get the networking going so if if you did have to say you're such a positive person and you've you've been so you're so well at adapting, but what would you say is still is there any specific fear or anything about blindness in particular that you you still do worry about or you're not quite sure how to how to how to handle or anything specific about that? And then maybe just to finish off on a positive note as well, what sort of dreams or goals do you have for the the next few years for, for you? Oh sure. 
no, that's an easy, those are easy questions. Definitely the navigation portion of things. Um, I'm not quite as confident as I'd like to be on that spontaneity of just um, being able to go into a store and feel that confidence of just walking around with McCain, knowing where I'm going. That is what I definitely have to work on. I have that fear of like, nope, not going in. You can go in and get what you need and I'll give you a list. Um, so I, I definitely know I need to work on that. Um, other than that, other things like um, cooking more, I'd like to learn how to be more confident in that. But um, as for dreams, I, am, I want to do my own podcast. So I'm working towards coming up with ideas and maneuvering through um, what I can do with that. I want to do more writing. Like I want to start a blog. Um, it's like I said, it's just new learning how to use the technology in a different way. Um, I don't look at it as a negative thing. I look at it as a positive thing. I love that learning aspect. So that's definitely um, my two, one of my two main things. I want to, I want to use my, what's, I want to be able to have put a voice to, you know, be that positive for not just with blindness. I mean, there's, you know, just with life in general, life is messy, but mm -hmm. you got to take the good out of it, you know? So I just want to, you know, help people. I guess, come to terms with that, just with, in, in, with anything, just, you know, that's one thing I've realized is like, you always think you have it worse, but there's other people that have it worse than you. And, you know, if you can just look at like, life's not over when things hit you. So. Right. Yeah. Well, I'm really, I'm, I'm just so glad that we met um, because I yeah. love meeting new people that are, that are, you know, like you said, interested in learning new things. And that's, that's great to see in other people. And that, that um, we've been able to give you some ideas and some, some motivations. That's also great to know. So. Oh, yeah. No, you guys are awesome. Yeah, we'll be here anytime you, you have any questions or anything ever, you, you know, you ever need anyone to talk yeah, we'd, to. Yeah, we'd love to have you back on or if you ever have questions, yeah, for sure, don't. Oh, of course. This was so, I was nervous and it was so, it's like talking to friends like friends you haven't met but it just was so easy and casual so thank you guys i think what you guys are doing is great i think i told the guys that earlier but this is really thanks. helpful that's so, what we're going for really cathartic awesome thanks thanks so much for coming on outlook thanks guys good luck with the move thank you <laughs> Send us an email, Outlook on Radio Western at gmail.com. Find us on Twitter at OutlookCFB. And on Facebook, Facebook.com slash Outlook on Radio Western. <laughs>